Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now, and I have episode 140 of the podcast that was originally recorded on December 3rd of 2016. Some of the games I played this week, Little Champions of Midgard, Chinatown, we revisited Concordia, I got to brew a little beer at Brewcrafters, played a little anime Code of Nine, some Pyramid Arcade and Great Western Trail were played with my wife, and I got back into a little Shroud of the Avatar. Enjoy the episode. Hey gamers, welcome to the games. This is Joe Luzzi from What I'm Playing Now, and welcome to another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. Sorry for missing last week, but with the holiday and everything going on with the family, I decided to just skip last week's podcast, but I am back again with another great podcast filled with a lot of great games that we played during the holiday season here that has just started upon us. All right, so as always, you can send me some emails. You can let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We have a guild there. We are guild number 2440. On Twitter, you can follow us at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G, like I always say. On Facebook, you can just search for what I'm playing now. Join our Facebook page there. On Google Plus, we are plus.google.com slash the plus sign. What I'm playing now podcast. And as always, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. All right, let's jump into a few of the games I played this past week, or two weeks actually, under the what I'm playing now part of the show. Okay, one of the first games we played this past um, couple of Mondays ago, actually, a little game called Champions of Midgard. And I thought I had discussed this on a previous podcast, and maybe I just talked about it a little bit. I don't know if I really ever gave a full review of the game, but I actually took my voice recorder down to the game store with me a couple weeks ago, and I figured, let me start using this thing before my wife really gets on my ass for not using a lot of the things that I'm buying for the website and everything. And I wanted to originally use this voice recorder at Gen Con. It was just a little too crazy at my first Gen Con, and I was only there for a couple of days, and I wasn't there the whole weekend. So I decided to not even try to pull that thing out and try to really use it. So I said, let's try to actually start using this maybe down with my game group. After we're done usually playing a game, my group kind of sits around and we'll talk about a game for a little bit before jumping into something else, especially if it's a game that is possibly newer or I don't want to say controversial, but if there were, if there's maybe something new about the game or we thought the game was really good, well, we'll actually talk about it for a little bit. So I figured, what the hell, let's actually take the voice recorder down. And one of the first games we played, we had a great four-player game of Champions of Midgard. And I asked everybody before we played the game if they wouldn't mind afterwards to maybe just say, a, you know, a minute or so, just a few things about what they thought about the game. A couple of people talked about some of the strategies that they used and stuff like that. And my original feelings for Champions of Midgard, I'll talk about after we listen to everybody else. So I'm going to cut into our video, our video, our audio that was recorded um, down there now. And then I will be back with the rest of the podcast after this. Hey, everyone. This is Joe from what I'm playing now. We're down here live at recess. We just got done playing Champions of Midgard from Gray Fox Games. I have Eric, Jim, and Dave with me. We just got done playing this. Um, the scoring for this game was actually pretty, pretty spaced apart, but it was an interesting game. This is the second time I've played this game, and I will say I actually like this much more than the first time I played it. Now, you were going to say something before I pulled out the recorder, Jim. You were going to talk about... 
Oh, I was talking about the pacing of the game. Um, the first time that I played it, I definitely had the impression that it was over before you could really get things going. Um, that might have been a, you know, a function of, I think, drafting or basically getting the dice to do things with. And if you don't have the dice, you can't really fight well. You can't you know, go on journeys. So, um, but when we played today, you know, it was the eight rounds. I thought it was a good length of the game, probably about an hour and 15 minutes you figure it took. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah, I, I think the length of this game compared to some of the other ones that we played recently is actually pretty good. The first couple of turns, I rolled poorly. I think that was one of the first things I disliked about the game the first time I played it was just the randomness of the dice. This time I kind of accepted it a little bit more. So I was a little... I, I wasn't happy with the bad rolls, but you kind of just learned to take it because it is a dice game. But it's a pretty decent worker placement game. I mean, the art on the game looks good. The board looks really nice. I mean, what did you try to do for strategy, Eric? Well, the first thing I was trying to do was, since my power had to do with rolling doubles on there, I figured might as well at least go for some battles. And then it seemed like the uh, the axes on the dice, the black dice, had a little bit more chance to hit doubles. So that was there. And from that point, it was either reading the board, seeing what everyone was doing, and either go for the ships or try to fight the monsters, just see what happens. Now, Dave, this is, Dave, this is your game, so... You've probably played this game a couple of times. I mean, this is, is this one of your, you know, top, maybe top ten games or so, would you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love this game. Um, regardless of how horrible I am at it, I finished last miserably, and I rolled the worst because Joe may have started off bad, but I stayed bad. And you can't win if you don't roll well. All right, so I'd like to thank everybody that actually played at our Champions of Midgard game there. We had a great group of guys playing down at the game store that week, and I'd like to thank Dave for bringing that game in. Much appreciated. So my initial thoughts on Champions of Midgard, when I had played it when it first had come out, I wasn't a huge fan of the game, and I'm, I'm not really too sure why. I think the dice component is what kind of turned me off, because I know when we were playing this time, during the first couple of rounds, like I had just mentioned... I had a couple of really bad rolls, so it's very easy to fall behind very quickly in this game. But I think the dice are kind of random enough to where once somebody else falls, once one person falls behind, sooner or later other people in the game are going to have a couple of bad rolls themselves to where they may not be getting points in a round. So what you're kind of hoping, I guess, is for that randomness of the dice and the RNG element to kind of just all kind of balance out by the end of the game and hopefully the scores will be somewhat close based on how people have played and everything so i will say the second time around of playing this game and revisiting it much later i kind of actually did like it i'm actually thinking about adding this one to my collection because my wife is a huge lords of Waterdeep fan and i remember when this game had first come out there were a lot of comparisons between it and lords of Waterdeep. i know the dice do add a huge component that lords of Waterdeep don't ha doesn't have in it but with the use of the workers and just kind of like the feel of the game, it uses similar mechanics to Lords of Waterdeep, but kind of builds upon that and takes it to, I don't want to say another level because Lords of Waterdeep is one of, is a, is a game that I still like playing. My wife loves it. So I, I mean, I can't, I don't want to downplay Lords of Waterdeep in any way. Lords of Waterdeep is a great, spectacular game. But I will say some of the things that Champions of Midgard adds to it with the boat and, and with the dice and with having 
you know, two different monster tracks that you can essentially attack with the top of the game board and the bottom of the game board. You know, you have to use your ship to sail out and fight the ones on the lower the on the lower row. But it's it's really kind of interesting and and the way they've kind of just changed the mechanics of the worker placement game just a little bit by adding in those dice. You have different kinds of dice which are different which will give you different kinds of attacks. And sometimes certain monsters cannot be attacked with certain weapons. So you really have to plan all your attacking accordingly because you want to make sure that you do have enough enough men who can basically win the battle for you if you're going to put the dice out and go for an attack. So Champions of Midgard is a worker placement game that if you have not played, definitely try to get that one to the table. I believe it's uh, probably about a year or two old now. I think it did come out in 2015. So since we are getting close to 2017, the game's getting closer to being about two years old. You could still pretty much find it everywhere. I know a lot of people are still really enjoying the game. It's you know one of the top worker placement games probably on a lot of people's lists. So Champions of Midgard, definitely check that one out. Then when I had gone down to my local game store on Black Friday, I met up with a bunch of guys down there for an afternoon of gaming. Uh, my wife happened to be working on Black Friday, so I had the afternoon free, so I said, what the hell, let's go down to the game store and try to get a few games in. So we met up down there. Eric, my one buddy, brought his copy of Chinatown. This game was originally released back in 1999. It has had several re-releases and reprints since then, and I believe Eric had one of the most recent ones, probably I believe it was the third printing of that one. This game, the easiest way to describe it, it is a negotiation style game with some tile placement, a little bit of set collection, as well as what I would kind of consider a little area control as well, based on how you're placing the tiles down the board. And with the negotiation, you're going to have some trading in there as well. So at the beginning of the game, you're going to be dealt out cards that have that are numbered, and these numbers will correspond to different spots on the actual game board. In each game, and the game board's broken up into, I guess you could kind of say different districts, almost like different kind of like little villages or parts of an individual city, you could say. And what you're going to do is you're going to place one of your tokens onto those squares if you would like that square, and if you'd like to keep that square, you can put one of the tiles that will be drawn out of a bag, and you're going to be allowed to pull so many tiles out of the bag uh, per turn. You can then put tiles that are based on different business types, like um, jeweler, I think one of this one was, uh, there's um, restaurants, and there's a couple of different type of tiles. There's, there's multiple different types of tiles, and each different type of tile also has a limited number of of tiles that are available throughout the whole game. So they're essentially they're going to be worth different points based on the amount of tiles that there are. The fewer tiles, the rarer they one are, you're, those are going to be worth a few more points as opposed to some of the ones where there are more tiles in the bag that's being passed around. So when it comes to your turn, you're going to be able to put um, your tokens out on the board and kind of mark the different numbered spots with your colored token. If it's an area that you think that you may want to start building in, you can start putting tiles down and you're going to want to try to put the same types of tiles down next to each other in an orthogonal fashion because you're going to score that way. You can't score diagonally, so they're going to have to be orthogonally and you're going to try to get the most number of tiles that you can in a particular region together to score the most points. I think six is some of the highest that I think you can go based on some of the tiles. I think three is the smallest that you can go. And I can't remember if six was the highest or not. And off the top of my head, I'm thinking that's that's how it was. 
after everybody places the tiles down under the board when they ha- when they have their cards in front of them, everybody's going to sit there and try to figure out if they would like to trade or not. And my group kind of got lucky because one of the guys that was down there that was kind of watching us as we were that showed up halfway through our game. He kind of was on he when he had played before, he said the people that were at his t- table just weren't really into trading. The group of four that we had there, everybody was into trading. Everybody was open to swap, you know, was to swap areas, to swap tiles, to swap locations. So the trading at our table was kind of crazy because people were throwing trades around that included not only chips, but money and it's you can pretty much trade anything you want for anything as long as you can convince somebody else at the table that they want what you have and you and if they have something you want you just try to wheel and deal as good as you can to get whatever it is you need to to try to either take larger control of an area because you can trade the numbered cards that somebody has in front of them Pretty much everything's fair trade. You can use your money to trade, you can use the numbered cards, or you can use the different actual buildings that are go on those tiles that are the different actual locations. So pretty much everything's fair game to trade. There's really nothing that's going to stop you from trading one thing or another. So after everybody's done trading, you're going to get a chance to then put out onto the board what you want, and dependent on... Like I was saying before, the the areas that you want to control, you'll want to put tiles out there. If you just have one tile off by itself, you'll actually get 10,000 for that, but you're definitely going to get more money coming in on a round on a per round basis if you do have more locations covered with tiles of the same type. And that's where to me that's where kind of like the area kind of control comes into play. So, I really like Chinatown. Usually negotiation games like this are something that can can really be hit or miss. It's all going to come down to the type of people you have playing with you and the type of people that are at the table whether a negotiation game will be successful. If people are in the mood to kind of just sit there and just build out their own areas and not really trade anything, especially if they don't aren't kind of going for any sort of risk or reward type deal, and they're just going to play the game with the tiles and cards that are dealt to them, the game is probably going to crash and burn very quickly. And my guess is most people at the table won't have a good time. If you have a table where there's a lot of wheeling dealing and go around, like I was saying our table was, and you have people who are just throwing money around and everything, I believe Eric and I came in second and third. I was third, and I think he had beat me by only 10,000. And I think on the the round right before the final round, I had traded something away for 40,000 that I should have only done for 30,000. And that was one of the reasons why I think I was 10,000 off. But there's were other trades that were done throughout the game that could have changed that as well. So I can't really say it was that one final trade, but it was there was something I traded for right at the end of the game where I kept saying 30, 30, 30. And then finally I said, here, 40. And then one of my opponents said, sure, I'll do that for 40. And I kind of wish I would have just stuck with the 30 and just pushed the 30 just a little bit more. But Chinatown is a great, great negotiation game. If you like negotiation games and you can actually get a game of three to four people together to play this, definitely do this. And Chinatown, check that one out as well. After Chinatown, since we had five people at the table at that time, we jumped over to a five-player game of Concordia. Concordia I had talked about a couple of weeks ago, so I won't go into too, too much detail on Concordia, but I will say Concordia is still on my wish list. It's a game that I had added to my Christmas list after the last time I had played it and after playing it the second time. I, it's a game that I'm really interested in trying with the expansions. I like Concordia. I just like 
just the whole gameplay of the game. I think it's a spectacular strategy game where you there are just so many different avenues that you can take starting from the beginning of the game and try to just follow throughout the whole game that every time you play, you almost want to just try something a little different. Do I want to go the wine route? Do I want to go the cloth route and try to be very risky based on where the cloth tiles ended up on the tile placements of the board? So in Concordia, what you're trying to do is you're going to move, move workers around the board to try to control different areas of the board and collect different resources to basically be able to purchase cards and get victory points. At its essence, that's kind of a very high level of what the game is. There is a lot more to the game than that. But like I said, I don't want to go into this too, too much since I had discussed this one before. And hopefully I'm going to be able to get some of the expansions played with this game. And we can go into some great in-depth strategies utilizing some of the expansions as well. But Concordia, if this is a game that you haven't gotten to the table yet, this is another one I definitely would highly recommend people playing because this one has definitely jumped to the top of my really liking list and I just really enjoy playing Concordia. So after that, when I had gone down to my local game store this past Thursday, we got in several different games. My buddy Brian brought a game of Brewcrafters. This is a game that I've definitely been wanting to get to the table a lot. I know he's been bringing it for a couple of weeks and I had brought several newer games that I had wanted to play but since he had been bringing Brewcrafters and I had requested that he do this, I figured let's get Brewcrafters played already because it's a game that I I missed when it had originally come out playing it because it seemed like I was always playing something else down at the game store. So it's probably about a year old, maybe a little older at this time. Still a great worker placement game. In Brewcrafters, you're going to have start off with a couple of different workers. You're going to place them on one of the main boards to pot, to get some different resources. You're going to have different resources like malt, barley, yeast. Basically things that you will utilize for making beer because that is, in essence, what you're doing with this game. You're going to be brewing beer and you're trying to brew the most beer and sell the most beer throughout the game to get victory points. So after everybody places their workers, you're going to have some additional workers that are going to be played on the bottom of the board, which will give you some additional actions like brewing the beer or in improving, doing some research to move up a research track that you have in front of you when you have four different rows that you could be moving up as far as different, different resources will go throughout the game. You can also purchase various cards um, with the additional with the with the original workers that you have in the game that will give you let you possibly convert some of your resources from a basic resource into one of the advanced resources like a spice or a fruit or something. Or you can also buy additional. I guess you can kind of say helper cards is what we can call them. I don't know what the I can't remember off the top of my head what the actual name of them were, but they could give you additional resources. Like I had one who was like a yeast maker. And whenever I took an action to do a research, I would actually be able to obtain a yeast resource as well as a possible second yeast resource or a victory point. So most of the time when I would, whenever I did a research action, I was taking one yeast resource as well as what victory point was the way I figured I decided it to go and it kind of worked out for me pretty good my score I will say wasn't the world's greatest towards the end of the game even though I had brewed quite a bit of beer I wasn't the first one to brew most of the beers in the first several turns rounds I was brewing some of the easier beers before I had moved up into more of the advanced ones it is kind of tricky first player does come into play greatly in this game as there is normally only one spot on the board where you can obtain some of those advanced resources from. If that 
spot isn't taken when it, you know, if you don't take that spot when it's open to you, it will probably not be there when it comes around to your second turn of placing your workers. What you're doing during this game is, like I said, collecting resources, brewing the beer, making the beer. There's going to be a, I believe it was nine different types of beers that were out under the table that you can brew. Each one required a different combination of resources to go. You needed to brew the basic beers first before you could jump down into the more advanced ones. So with a th- in, in one column, you needed to brew the early ones first before you could get to the later ones in the game, which adds a little bit of strategy in that you kind of don't want to necessarily spread yourself out throughout all of the beers. But if you move along that track for research some of the final research columns will give you more points for brewing the most different types of beers that you can so there's a lot of strategy you have to take in thinking what type of beers do i want to brew do i want to concentrate maybe on one or two specific types and it seems like that's a strategy that's that works you may make one of some of the other ones but not make more than one of those and concentrate on possibly just making a couple of the same type over and over again especially if you can continue getting those resources i thought i was doing much better than i did when we find when we started doing the scoring and my score like i said wasn't the world's greatest but for my first time playing i was happy with it this is a game that i actually had on my wish list on bgg and it's definitely one that is staying there and i will hopefully be be picking up after the new year since most of the stuff that i have um, picked up for christmas um, i will probably not be purchasing many many more games here in the month of december after picking up so many things out at my local game store during the black friday sale so that was brew crafters if you haven't had a chance to get brew crafters to the table if you like worker placement games you can say this game is possibly similar maybe to something like a viticulture or something it has similar types of cards similar types of actions that you're going to be doing and it's a game that i know that my wife and i will both enjoy playing so we'll definitely be picking this one up Brewcrafters definitely get this one to the table as well after Brewcrafters, we played a little game of code of nine this Looks like it has a little anime feel to it, just from the art on the box. But the actual game itself really didn't have too, too much anime onto it, other than a little bit of art style on the way the cards go. This is another... I guess you could kind of say like a worker placement game. You're going to have three different workers that you're going to be putting on a board that is kind of like, that's going to go in in the shape kind of like of a clock. It's going to go in a circular um, form. And the area of the board is broken up into different segments, which are the actual different segments of the game, which I believe there are, there are four different sections to the game itself. During the first round, you're able to place your workers in the first area, as well as this additional small area, which has two additional actions next to it. And after everybody places their workers, you're going to pick your workers up, go on to the next one, and you can then place in that first area again, as well as that, as well as second area, which then becomes unlocked. But then you can't place in that very first area, which was round one only. The biggest thing to this game is the cards that you're going to be dealt out at the beginning of the game. Everybody's going to be dealt out a couple of cards, and uh, or I think it's like three or four cards, and you need to pick two, and those two are going to go face down, kind of like above and below each other onto your tableau, onto your little board in front of you. You have a 
column on to the left of the cards, which is going to be for your focus, I think it was, is what it was called, which is a resource that can be used in some of the later rounds to possibly purchase different, um, do different attacks against somebody, to do different actions. You'll be spending some of this, I think it was focus, uh, so you'll need to keep track of that with the little diamond token that you're given there. But like I was saying, the biggest aspect to this game is going to be the cards that you're dealt, because the cards that you're dealt are hidden from everybody else, are hidden from all of your opponents. There are actions on the board which let you look at some of your opponent's cards, so that could be a strategy that you utilize to see what other type of cards people have. But the cards are defining what the win conditions are for the game. So as you're going through the game, collecting different resources, taking resources from other players, if you're not looking at other people's cards to see what they have, and you're just going off of the win conditions on your card, you could easily be screwed in this game because like one of the cards I had was if somebody has the, the person who had like the lowest amount of tokens can't win the game. And that was one of the first cards that we flipped over because it was a round one card. And all of the cards have different numbering and go in a specific sequential order. And my cards that I had were two number one cards. So they were they were played first is how you would play them. When we flipped over that first one, the one guy who was sitting there who had the lowest amount of tokens was pretty much out right after scoring. There were a few things we had done wrong as far as how the game ended. We ended the game probably a round or two sooner than we did because we ended the game once a couple of tokens were removed from the board and that wasn't the way it was supposed to be played the tokens weren't supposed to be the game wasn't supposed to end until a, a later round than what we did but since we had already started flipping over cards and showing people what our cards were we really couldn't go back to actually redo another round because everybody knew what the win conditions then were so when we didn't have time to really play through a second game, although we kind of knocked out this game in about 15 to 20 minutes, even with ex explanation. So Code of Nine is definitely a fast game. It's a shorter game, but it's a game that's going to require at least three people, I believe it was. And it was one that we had quite a bit of fun with, especially for being just such a little odd worker placement game. And it was the cards that really made it kind of unique in that the win conditions and and basically how you could get knocked out of the round were just so random. It was something that I really haven't seen in too many other games, or I can't even think of a game that really had win conditions like this on the cards to really just completely change the outcome of the game based on who had what card. So Code of Nine, if you if you aren't a huge anime fan, probably a game that you probably would be looking past, um, possibly due to the box cover art that it has on it, but definitely maybe watch a couple of videos on this one or, you know, take a look at the box and read through some of this one and look into a little bit more because it actually is a very interesting little worker placement game with a really, really nice twist to it with those cards. So Code 9 is one that, again, I would definitely recommend and we had a really good time with it and we were all of us were very surprised because when Eric was setting this game up and explaining it, I was just sitting there and I just thought it was going to be a complete dud. And when we got to the end and we all finally realized how the cards were being utilized and how everything went, it definitely just completely opened up my eyes and changed everyone's everyone's opinion at the table was just completely changed about that game. So that one was Code of Nine. 
So after that, my wife and I actually got some gaming in the past couple of weeks. We've been able to play a few games here or there. Some of the games I've already talked about on the podcast before, so I'm not going to bring up some of those other ones because we do like to play older games. We don't necessarily always play the latest and greatest here. There are some games that are my wife's favorite, and sometimes she's just not necessarily in the mood to learn something new. So she's like, let's just play something we know that we could just knock out here in an evening. But we did play through some new stuff. One of the things that um, I'm going to just talk, uh, the next couple of games I'm going to talk just a little bit about, I'm not going to go into too much detail on them. Pyramid Arcade from Looney Labs. This was a game I had talked about in a few podcasts ago. I had talked about some of the games that I had played down at the one distributor open house that I went to. And it was a game that I thought was really interesting. I had thrown it onto my wish list. And during the Black Friday sale, uh, my local game store had gotten in some of the Kickstarter copies that actually had some of the green um, pyramids that you can only get from the Kickstarter. So I wanted to grab one of those before they were all gone. And I think I had actually gotten the last copy of the game, which actually had those green pyramids to it. So my wife and I had sat down and played a few of the Pyramid Arcade games that were in there, and I don't remember the names of them off the top of my head, so I'm going to try to play through more than just the couple that we played through before I give a really big uh, review on this one. And I think in the base game, there are 22 games that are actually you know, in that that come that the game comes with instructions for it. I believe there's more online. And I will say the look and just the 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 easiness and the ease of playing a lot of these games, if you're looking for a good family game to play possibly um, during the holidays with uh, younger kids or even with just family members, this is a game that has a lot of different games inside of the one. So you can play multiple things throughout the evening. You're not just stuck possibly playing one game. And the pyramid, the games look gorgeous. The pyramids are all really well, nicely constructed. And they just are really nice pieces of plastic pyramids. And they are also easy games as well as more difficult games. So depending on the age level of your kids or depending on, you know, how often some of the people that you're gaming with and some of your family members game, you could possibly play some of the easier games or some of the more advanced games that come in the instruction booklet. So there's a wide variety that this game offers to you in just one box, which is really super cool. I think this is a great game to pick up during the holiday season. If you're going to be traveling to families, you know, to a family's house and maybe they're, they don't game a lot, you can take this game along and play some of the easier games where you're kind of just rolling dice and maybe doing like a king of the hill type of game with your pyramids or you can play one of the more advanced games that may take a little bit longer to play and you know there's and those are the games my wife and I haven't played yet so those are the games I kind of want to get under my belt a little bit before I go into much more about the game but pyramid arcade I will say for in just one box with just a bunch of pyramids and the different components that it does come with, there is just an abundance of games and just fun in this box that I can't just talk enough good about. So if you haven't checked out Pyramid Arcade yet, definitely another one that should be checked out. A lot of these games that I'm talking about in this podcast pretty much are just all great games. This was a very good week of gaming. I can't think of one that I wouldn't want to replay and get to the table again. After that, one of the games I picked up, it was the final game I picked up on our Black on the Black Friday sale that was done at my local game store because it had come in, I believe, on Black Friday is when they had gotten their shipment into this. And this is the Great Western Trail. This is a game from Stronghold Games, and I had tweeted out my wife and I um, playing this game. I put a picture on there, and on the on there I had mentioned that Stronghold has another hit. And from what it seems like down at the local game store when we were down there the other day, there was a group of people playing this one. My wife and I have played this one, and everybody 
is talking about this game right now, and this is Stronghold's probably next big hit, I have a feeling. It's a great game. It has a really cool deck building component to it. It has an interesting little rondelle, you can kind of say, in that as you're going through this Great Western Trail on the game board, you're starting off in the lower right-hand corner, working your way up to the upper left-hand corner, and then you're going to be cycling back around to the lower right-hand side after you are taking your cows from Texas all the way over to Kansas City in the upper left-hand corner, doing the actions within Kansas City, and then you're going to loop back around to Texas again and rinse and repeat and get another round of cows going in your hand that um, you're going to be building your deck through doing. There's some tile placement in the game. So there's, there's a few different components into this game, and my wife and I really enjoyed it. I don't want to go into too much more of the game because I've only played it with two players so far, and I will say as far as two players go, this is one of the better strategy games that I've actually played with two players. It, I have a feeling this game is going to scale perfectly well going up between two, three, and four players. There's going to be different um, tiles, actually, that you can put on your tableau on your user board in front of you that kind of change around some of the actions that are taken in a three- or four-player game. But as far as playing it with just the two players, it was a perfect strategy game that both my wife and I really like. We both enjoy deck building, we enjoy the tile placement, and we just had a really good time playing The Great Western Trail. So those are the games, board games, I guess I played for the week. I did play a couple of video games, and the one game that I kind of wanted to talk about that I really haven't talked about too, too much lately, Shroud of the Avatar. I actually got back into this game the past couple of weeks and have been trying to play a few hours here, a few hours there, leveling up my character a little bit. This is, for those who aren't familiar or who haven't heard me talk about this one before, this is the spiritual successor to Ultima Online. Lord British is making this game. Portalarium is the company that is designing and developing the game. That is currently where he is working. And most of the people that are working here are the people who actually created the world of Ultima Online with him back in the day, if you had ever played that one. So if you're a fan of Ultima Online, you may want to check out Shroud of the Avatar. It has definitely changed quite significantly over the past couple of updates that they've done. I will say the game, since we don't have the um, increased experience that we got uh, while we were in the earlier phases of the alpha and the pre-release, since this is getting actually closer to release, it is a game where they have just set leveling to the normal experience gains right now. It has slowed down significantly for me, especially since I'm not playing it on a daily basis like I was before. Uh, but even traveling around the 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 maps some is definitely a lot slower their their fast travel system isn't isn't one that they wanted to copy off of let's say games of like world of warcraft where you're just able to teleport and portal around and while you do have um teleport scrolls they are they are limited and you do have to either purchase them or you know craft them so I've been trying to hold on to the teleport scrolls and stuff that I do have because gold is something also that's very limited in the game as well. It's definitely not as easy to grind money like it was in some of the earlier phases of alpha. So the game has just become, I don't want to say much more difficult, it's just become much cleaner, I guess we can say. And, and that is the type of game that they're going for. They're not looking for a game where people are going to grind out max level in 40 to 80 hours and then be done with the game. This is a game that's meant to be played over time. This is a game that's meant to be played slowly. This is a game where you go around, you talk to NPCs, you're going to be reading what the NPCs say, and you're going to be interacting with them 
by typing with them and using different keywords with them. So it's a game where you're going to have a lot of interaction between you and computer players, as well as trying to get together to do group and guild functions like different, you know, dungeon runs and fighting some of the, the larger monsters that are in the game. The storyline in this game is what is going to be the high point of the game because there are multiple different storylines that you can follow within the game. Depending on the type of character that you create at the beginning of the game is probably the type of storyline you're going to follow initially and then branch off into the other ones as you level up your character and you progress through the game into different areas and as you explore the world. So it's it's definitely a different type of MMO than what you, you're used to. There are definitely not following the mold of grind rinse repeat and then just go through um, major raids and stuff like that that's definitely not the type of mmo that this game is if that's the type of game that you're looking for i would definitely suggest probably not playing shroud of the avatar because it probably won't be your cup of tea but I do like I do like the combat in the game. Crafting is something I need to get back into a little bit more. They've changed the the crafting um, since the last time I played yet again. So I need to relearn some of the crafting stuff and the way it works. So I'm going to be working on that during the next couple of weeks. But Shroud of the Avatar is something I'm going to be playing throughout probably hopefully the next year or so. And it's a game I'm going to be it's, it's going to be a massively multiplayer online game that I play a lot more casually than I normally do. So that's going to give me some time to play some other video games, hopefully, but it's not one that I feel I need to play on a daily basis for hours upon end like you normally are sucked into these games. So in that regards, it's actually a little bit better. So I'm going to hopefully be able to play some other things, but still enjoy a little bit of Shroud of the Avatar. But that is it for what I want to play for what I'm playing now. Let's jump into what I want to play now. I was looking through some of the posts on Board Game Geek. There were a few games that were listed under some of the new things that had been talked about on, at BGGCon. And one of the games that I had found on one of their posts was Automobiles Racing Season. This is an expansion to the Automobiles bag building game that was out that I had talked about um, several podcasts ago. That is on my wish list and possibly something that I'm... If I'm not getting it for Christmas, I will be getting it shortly after Christmas because this is a bag builder that I really enjoy. I really enjoy racing games, so this is one that's on my list and I'm really looking forward to. The racing season sounds really interesting in that you can possibly have a racer who will have different abilities that you can utilize during the game. It almost sounds like they're coming out with a season to where you can do multiple races and almost have like a whole challenge series, which sounds really interesting. So I'm kind of interested to see how the automobiles racing season really plays out and this is maybe one we can maybe play a couple of times out at the game store and maybe have a small season and see how we can compete possibly over a season to win and see who can drive the best after that i noticed that there was a little card game coming out super hot the card game if you're not familiar with super hot super hot was uh i guess you can say kind of a first person shooter that was released on the PC, it was at first a browser-type game that you could play the early alphas in the browser. But the trick to it being a first-person shooter is that time only moves when you move. So if you let go of your WASD keys and you're not moving your character, everything is kind of paused in the game and nothing is happening. The minute you actually push W to move forward... Everything else in the game starts moving, and then if you let off of W, the game will essentially pause, 
And it's a very interesting, unique mechanic as far as first-person shooters goes. The game was, after that, released then on full release and on Steam and then on Xbox One as well. Uh, I did not re- realize that it had an Xbox One release. I thought it was just released on PC. I didn't re- really realize it was released on the console, so... There are some people out there that may have heard of this game, but if you haven't, it's an interesting little video game as far as first-person shooters go. What you're trying to do is you're trying to work your way through the different boards that are kind of like a different map, and you're trying to eliminate the enemies that are trying to eliminate you. And the enemies are normally at the same spot every time, so you can pretty much figure out their patterns after a while and where where they're coming from and where they're shooting. But you really need to watch what your movement is because when one of them shoots at you you can let go of the key for a second to see where the bullet is bullet is and almost pretty much dodge it if you're careful enough if there aren't two bullets that are being shot at you from people who are close to one another so it was a really interesting game when i was playing it through the alpha time and now that it's being released in a card game i'm really interested to see how they're going to kind of work that whole mechanic into a card into a card-based game. It sounds like there's going to be a couple of different types of modes as far as gameplay go. You're going to be able to play a solitaire-type game where you can basically play against the cards. You can play cooperatively where it's two players against possibly the cards or the system. Um, You can do a competitive where you're fighting off against another player, or you can do cooperative against kind of like the system to play against. So there's a couple of different types of modes, you know, game modes that they've actually come up with for this. So I'm really interested to see how the different movement movement mechanic with the time pausing and everything will work in a card game format because it really worked in the video game format. So hopefully they can duplicate and replicate that in a card type game. So this is one that I'm going to keep my eyes on because I really enjoyed the video game. It was really unique when it had come out and I'm kind of in interested to see how this will work in a card game format so that game is called super hot card game i believe it's going to be out in 2017 so if you're interested in that hit board game geek and check that one out as well but other than that hey we've come to the end of another episode of the what i'm playing now podcast as always you could send me some emails let me know what you're playing now you can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Boardium Geek. We are guild number 2440 there. On Twitter, at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop that G, like I always say. On Facebook, you can just do a search for what I'm playing now and you'll find us there. Google Plus is plus.google.com slash the plus sign. What I'm playing now podcast. And then, of course, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me for another podcast. Until next week. You know what to do. Go out there, play some games, and then let me know what you're playing now. Have a great week, everybody. I'll be back next week with another podcast. Until then, goodbye.